So uh, welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. Today I have a very special guest. Um, I found out about him through the seven-day Anakian masterclass with uh, Jason Augustus Newcomb, Scott Stenwick, and here we have Aaron Leachon. And uh, I recently started reading his uh, <clears throat> Angelic Language Volume 1, previously read his uh, Essential Anakian Grimoire, so figured it'd be a really good time to have you on. There's a lot of questions I had and uh, recently, this podcast has really been uh, exploring some of the Enochian practices. So uh, welcome to the podcast. And can you give the listeners a brief introduction and kind of how you initially got into uh, esoteric and occult practices in general? Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's 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 awesome being here. Um, geez, well, I guess uh, who I am, uh, just if you've never heard of me. Uh, my name is Father Aaron Leach. I am an ordained Gnostic priest, and I am also a member of the Golden Dawn, uh, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn under Chick Cicero. Uh, in fact, Chick Cicero is the one who ordained me as a Gnostic priest as well. So, um, I'm also an author. My first book was Secrets of the Magical Grimoires. And by the way, you say you've read um, The Essential Anakian Grimoire and you're reading The Angelical Language. Oh, yeah. You do get a chance to uh, pick up Secrets of the Grimoires because... I kind of wrote that book to be a stealth primer for Anakian magic in a way. Mm. I mean, it's not really overt, but I just made sure that in that book, I introduce you to all the basic principles and angel hierarchies that you would then encounter later on with the, with like the essential Anakian groom more. So okay. I definitely, I definitely recommend reading them in that order. Um, so there you go. There you've got some of my books and my work and they all follow each other. You know, Secrets of the Grim Wars was the primer. Then there were the Angelical Language books. Uh, that's really one book, but it was 900 pages. So we decided to split <laughs> it in two parts. And then <clears throat> all of those set you up to understand the essential Anakian Grim War. And by that point, you should have a pretty good uh, grasp of the entire, not just Anakian system, but a lot of the Renaissance magic that I practice. And that go, that gets into the next thing. Uh, beyond uh, Golden Dawn stuff, beyond my, uh, my practice as a priest, uh, I am also a Solomonic magician. Mm -hmm. uh, that means that I draw my magic and my practices mainly from um, pre-1800 sources. So pre-Golden Dawn, pre-Crowley, pre-Thulema, none of that stuff. Um, the old, like the Key of Solomon, the Lamegaton, the Heptameron. These are texts that were written in the medieval and Renaissance era. Uh, so in the heyday of, of alchemy and hermeticism and astrology, uh, these were the spirit magic, the operative magic texts that went along with all of that. So that's my main area of practice. So I work with the seven archangels. I have altars to them. I, I have seven altars to these archangels around the house and plus some others as well. Uh, but I work with them on a very regular basis. And uh, I guess uh, that's mostly what I do. I mean, on a personal level, I also have the shop DocSolomons.com where, you know, we specialize in offering the really obscure things that the old magic calls for, you know, like thread spun by a young virgin. We have that, uh, um, you know, so just, just, just various weird things. I'm spacing on our catalog while we offer at the moment, but all sorts of uh, very, uh, very obscure incenses like uh, Agrippa's recipes 
uh, for the seven planetary incenses, we have those abramelin incense, abramelin oil, basically everything you need for abramelin. You can, uh, everything but a couple of items you can get from us. So that's the nature of that store. And through that as well, we do a lot of services with setting uh, petitions before the archangels for people. Uh, we perform, we try to perform mass semi-regularly, but uh, we get behind on that. But we've got a mass coming up. So uh, we do prayers and work for people during those. So it's very busy around here as far as spiritual and magical work goes. Um, uh, as far you, as where I got into it, that's... Oh, no, no, go ahead, go. Go ahead and ask. Okay, <laughs> I, I was curious because you mentioned that uh, you're in the Golden Dawn and you were um, under Chick Cicero. How did, how did you get, um, like, how did that start? I'm curious about that because I think a lot of people who uh, study the Golden Dawn either coming through books through maybe chick cicero or um israel regardi so i'm kind of curious how that um how that relationship or connection started too yeah well that'll that'll take us back a little bit in time um back to when i was just really i mean still college age you know early 20s 21 22 um and i was well first of all i was really beginning on my uh, uh my grimoire journey into the into the, the grim wars and the keys of solomon and all of that uh, i was gearing up to perform the abramelin operation which i did in 1997 so this is all around the same time but and, and i was also studying i say studying i was bending the ear and trying to suck all the information out of poor oshani lele as i could but he was a <laughs> local at the time a local uh lakumi priest and he went on to publish a whole library of books that are highly respected now um, and he's, he's passed on, unfortunately, way too early. So that's where I got a lot of my uh, uh, ATR information and training. And, you know, I was, while I was studying the grimoires, he, I would take the grimoires to him and I go, this, you know, this doesn't make sense. Why would I have to do this ridiculous thing? You know, and because they're full of very obscure instructions and things you have to do, protocols you have to follow in order to get the spirits to respond. And he would look at him and go, oh, hey, yeah, we do that. And here's why. <laughs> um, but I'm digressing. So this is what I was doing at the time. But completely unrelated to this, um, I got involved in this online thing. Battle, flame war, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> and we're talking about, you know, late night, late 90s here. Okay, so there wasn't even much of an internet to speak of. It was still called Usenet, you know, and you would go to what were called the alt groups. Mm -hmm. And in, 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 in alt magic and in a few other chat rooms and forums, there was this whole thing going on about Chick Cicero was the Antichrist because he was about to copyright the Golden Dawn. How mm -hmm. dare Chick Cicero do that? He doesn't own the Golden Dawn. He has no right to copyright that. And, you know, sure enough, the moment he copyrights all that, every one of you who are trying to practice the Golden Dawn or run a temple are going to get sued. <laughs> and... The thing was, I and I cannot for the life of me tell you now where I got the information, but I did have some small connection into what was going on at the time, at least enough to hear the full story. Hmm. And that was the first time I learned of another person. I will not mention this person's name, but this person was in had already copyrighted the Golden Dawn in Europe. Oh, yeah. And I, was, I, uh, in fact, sending okay. out legal threats to, yeah, and then... Yeah, I won't mention the name, so I won't discuss them. All I know is that they, or all I will say is that they 
copyrighted it in Europe, and they were already sending out legal threats to people. Oh, wow. Chick Cicero over here simply saw that happening and jumped to copyright it as quick as he could before this guy could get it. Mm. After he did so, he then began to freely issue licenses to anyone who asked as long as they were actually practicing the Golden Dawn. So all of these Golden Dawn orders and temples you run into in the world out there, if they're not associated with this other guy and his European trademark, they will be operating under a license from the Cicero HOGD. And Cicero's don't dictate anything to them. It's just, you can do whatever you want, but you have that license. So this other guy can't issue any legal threats against you. Hmm. So why did I go into that whole stupid story? And I hate doing so, by the way. <laughs> the reason was I decided because I'm a freaking big mouth, I wanted to be online defending Chick because I knew this story. And I was like, hey, guys, you do know that this copyright is, you know, has already been filed over here. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you can't just jump on Cicero for just getting it before this guy could. And, you know, let's at least wait and see what he does, see if he does start issuing lawsuits. And like mm-hmm. I said, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I get contacted by this woman named Maria. And she happened to be one of the people in the forums with me on the side of Chick Cicero and this stupid little hubbub that was going on over the trademark issue. Mm -hmm. And she contacted me privately and just said, hey, my name's Maria and Chick would like to talk to you. Mm. So that was the first time I communicated with, with, with Chick and it was only through email. She gave me his email address and we just talked back and forth. And I actually worked up the nerve to ask if I could borrow an almond wand that he owned. (laughs) He said it had been made for him by Grady McMurtry. Mm. And back when Chick Cicero was still running an OTO camp and Grady gave him this this stick of almond wand. There's no symbols on it or anything. It's just a stick of almond. And I had, the whole universe had been conspiring against me to stop me from getting an almond wand to use for my Abramelin ritual. And so I asked him if I could borrow that one and he mailed it to me. And so I performed my Abermelon with that wand. And uh, to cut a long story short, 10 years later, I think it was 10 years. It might've been 15, but at least a decade or more later, I was sitting in Chick's living room, uh, you know, fully, fully initiated all the way into the RRAC. And I said, Hey, Chick, you said you wanted to keep that wand in the family. So I couldn't keep it. Am I family yet? And uh, he called Tabby to go get Grady's wand, and she brought out the wand, and now that wand lives on my my guardian angel's altar permanently. So, so there's the whole story of my first meeting with Chick, even though it was all in, all through email, and it was after I did Abermelon. In fact, I think it was under the pretext, really, of taking the wand back to him. He mailed it to me, but I took it back to him. And that was where I met the Cicero's face and face face to face for the first time. I think it was either in very, very late 97 or real early 98 um, because they were such wonderful people. And I've written about this in uh, Falcon Press's new release of the Golden Dawn, the big black brick. I give the whole story of my first meeting with the Cicero. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I, by uh, the spring of 98, I think it was, mm-hmm. I was already taking uh, initiation, my neophyte initiation. And in, uh, in quite spring equinox, I believe of the year 2000, I went into the inner order. 
Yeah, and I've just been there ever since. So they are just, they're incredible people. And I, I cannot tell you how lucky I was that I happened to live just like an hour and a half from them, you know? So they were the first I met. There's so many predatory groups and people out there that I could have run into for, in fact, I did, you know, I, I went to the neo-pagan, you know, uh, communities and stuff. And there's some, there were predatory people there too. So the fact that I came to the Golden Dawn and the sisters were the first people I met, I just consider that was the work of my guardian angel. You know, she was the one that told me to go meet them. And she was the one that urged me to go ahead and join an order when I wasn't sure I wanted to be a member of an order. And uh, here we are well over 20 years later. And it's a, one of, besides doing Abermelon, that's probably the best decision I've ever made. It's very interesting that. Well, you, that and marrying my wife. I just, I want to put that out there. That and marrying my <laughs> wife. That was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> that, that's pretty funny. Um, it's interesting, though, that you got the uh, Almond Wand from him. And that was actually, you said, from uh, originally from Grady McMurtry, who was the head of the OTO um, years prior to that. Yes, sir. Um, and, you, and you never personally got into like studying Thelema or um, sort of going down that route, right? Well, I can't say I haven't studied it. I, I've read the Thelemic works. Um, I actually really enjoyed Magic Without Tears because that's just a collection of letters that he was writing to a student. And I really liked that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's big portions of uh, magic and theory and practice that I think are worth reading, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I studied Thelema. I studied its philosophy, but no, it was never a path I went down. I never became a Thelemite. Although I've had Thelemites say I'm entirely Thelemic by their definition of following your true will. <laughs> but other than that, you know, you, no, I've never been, I've never, you know, done the 93, 93 thing. I'm, I've always been an, a Luke's and Ave guy. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thanks for uh, that background. That was a nice little background story. Um, uh, what I'm really curious, though, of course, as you've uh, seen probably the questions that I sent, is kind of digging into your um, a lot of your Enochian studies. So I, I'm going through the uh, Angelic Language Volume 1 now, and uh, I'm only about probably like 80 pages in, but I have read your uh, Essential Enochian Grimoire before. And so it's very clear to me that you've studied a lot of the original materials, you know, the original diaries and um, I, oh, think, yes. I think it mentioned that you went through like the original Sloan manuscripts, perhaps. So, I mean, this is a uh, it's a pretty heavy undertaking. Right? <laughs> like I have uh, I have Joseph Peterson's uh, uh, Five Books of Mystery. I have Skinner's translation of the uh, the diaries, which are basically um, uh, the true and faithful relation with more of the translated Latin portions. And so, uh, I mean, those alone are pretty, you know, they're pretty heavy reads, but uh, it's very clear that you went through a lot of this material. So I'm curious what inspired you to do that? And what are some of the biggest discoveries that you had during that process? Because there are a lot of points in your books that I'm looking at that you don't really see mentioned. You know, you can read like 10 books from other authors on Anakian, but some, some points that you bring up are quite interesting that you don't really see mentioned. So I'm kind of curious what, uh, what inspired you and also what were like the biggest discoveries there? Well, okay, the, the, the original inspiration, as in for my getting into Anakian magic at all, would have been back when I was still uh, living in Denver. I, I graduated high school, 
I moved out to Wyoming to, to take some basic college courses, which I did for, you know, about a year and a half. And then, I mean, I was in Wyoming. What were, what did they have that I wanted to learn? Right. So <laughs> I, I exhausted the courses that I wanted to take at the local college. And I ended up moving down into Denver. And when I moved to Denver is when I really first started, I was living with a group of neo-pagans in a big house. I mean, a real hippie kind of situation. It was, it was wild. And uh, it was, it was sometimes dark and hungry and cold, but it was also very transformative. I mean, we were a bunch of kids really just, just really exploring this underside of the universe, you know? Um, and that's where I was really first shown my first Anakian book. It was actually a, a, a Anakian book by Gerald and Betty Schuler, which I don't even class those as Anakian books these days. I mean, they're just, they're just, just so terrible, but um someone picked up one of those books and they made the comment that, you know, how you see in fiction that, you know, a wizard will be saying a spell and he'll just mispronounce one word and his head will explode or, or demons will pop up and attack him or something. And he says, this is the magic that trope is based on. He didn't say trope. We didn't have that word back then, but that's what he says. <laughs> this is what that's based on. And I was like, oh my God, I need to learn this system. <laughs> and so I took that book from him and I read it cover to cover and I just, it just went from there. Mm-hmm. Now this goes to the second part of the story and this is so important to me that you and everybody listening understands. My expertise in Anakian is really standing on the shoulders of giants, Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't imagine that I just had some secret access to the British Museum and I went and looked at the manuscripts and came away with all this material. In the 90s, going back to that time when all this weird stuff was going on with the trademark and the Golden Dawn, well, I was also involved in a mailing list. And mm-hmm. for you fetuses out there that don't know what that is, we didn't have groups, Ahu groups, and those don't even exist anymore. You had, to, uh, you had to take people's names, take, take people's email address, I should say, and put it in the CC section of an email. And <laughs> you would just end up putting hundreds and hundreds of names in the CC section. And this was called a mailing list. And people help, that's how people, that's how people would communicate back then, the same way they do now in the groups. Mm. And one of those mailing lists was called Enochian L. And the L for mailing list, right? Mm-hmm. So it was called Anakian L. And I think the greatest Anakian scholars that have and maybe ever will exist on planet Earth were members of that early little group. Mm. Uh, we're talking Benjamin Rowe, um, who, was pa- who passed on. Um, people like Clay Holden, who actually, I think he wrote some material in the current edition of True and Faithful Relation. Uh, mm-hmm. He was in there, at least uh, somewhat. I do remember him posting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, if you name uh, David, David, what's his name? David. Um, David Jones? David R. Jones, I think his name is. He's still on Facebook, and he may correct me on this, but I swear I remember him posting in that group, too. I mean, Anyone who was anyone in a Nokian study was there. Okay. Um, this, by the way, do you remember the magicalreview.org? I've heard of it. Yeah. That was a website. That, yeah. Some have heard of it because that was a website that housed scans of all of these original journals, all of it. 
and um, the the people there, the people who founded that website, were also in that group. Okay, so this was this this huge collective effort. The very first time in history, human beings and scholars could communicate around the globe with ease. And this little group got together, and we poured into those journals. Mm. And I'm telling you, we analyzed everything. We analyzed every comma, every apostrophe, <laughs> and every semicolon. We talked about the, 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 the minutia of early modern English, definitions of words. We tore those books down to the very fiber D had written them on. I'm not kidding you, okay? Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing in my books is what I've learned from the system, not only by taking part in that process and that group, but also the results of everything we came up with. Mm-hmm. And add on top of that, you know, now you go to the Anakian books, you know, 10 Anakian books, and they don't mention this one thing that you'll find in my book. And there's a lot of that. Um, most of those books were written before the, the, the Anakian L days, honestly. Mm-hmm. So those authors just didn't have the kind of information we did. No right. one had ever dissected the journals to the extent we had. And not just the journals, everything else D had written, things other authors at the time had written. This was, this was a global effort here in every sense of the word. So my book is simply, my books are simply some of the first Enochian works that have come out of that post-Enochian L era. So I really am standing on the shoulders of those incredible people. And yes, I took part in what they were doing too, but without them, I would not have been able to produce what I did. So that's, that is where, that's my process. That's my inspiration. Uh, Yes. The angels have taught me a lot that I didn't get from that group. Yes. I learned a lot of things just from my own. I did sit down and read those original journals Mm -hmm. front to back every marginal notation and dug everything I could out of them. I was as OCD about it as you imagine I must have been, (laughs) but I didn't do it alone. Right. And I don't want anyone to think that I did do it alone because I am even in awe at what we were able to accomplish in those very early days. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's incredible. And I'm just honored to have been part of it. Yeah. It definitely seems like you discovered a lot too in the process. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, I can't really mention everything because I haven't read, uh, haven't gone through all of the book yet. But um, I mean, there's a lot of correlations like the 50 Gates of Bina um, with the Libra Loga and, um, you know, just so many, so many points and so many um, uh, mentions in the diaries that you don't really see in other books. Right. What what uh, maybe if you can. I mean, it's probably hard to name one or two things, but if there's anything that comes to mind that was sort of totally, you know, changed your perspective or something that you discovered, um, you know, even as a team effort, as you mentioned, with these other people that were doing their studies as well, was there anything that really, maybe if there was like one or two things that really changed your whole perspective while you were studying that? Oh, well, definitely. Um I honestly cannot recall at this time if I'm the one that broke the whole relationship between the counting of the Omer, which is the 50 gates of wisdom practice Mm -hmm. and what D was trying to do with, with, uh, with his, uh, the book of Loga and the, the, the gates and the tables Mm -hmm. of Loga. Um, 
that I would have to look in the Anaki and L archives now to remember because I think that was one thing that kind of just organically bubbled up. I don't know who really was the first to go, hey, you know. <laughs> um, so it could have been me, but I'm not going to say it was. But I'm I'm pretty sure I was the one who kind of broke the whole Jebba Fall thing. I'm the one that found it and developed it. And the only reason I found it was because I was the only idiot who wanted to sit down with the journals and ferret out every last angelical word out of the book. Even if it was just one weird word in the middle of a bunch of Latin, I was going to find it. And I did. And <laughs> Jebafal was one of those words. People have written about the table of the tables of Logah. And, you know, you get a sense of the practice that you're supposed to use with it. Uh, if you read the prayer of Enoch that the angels gave to D. So the, the pieces of Jebafal were there, but the other authors had just simply skipped over that paragraph. And if you ever see D's journals, you'll understand how easy it is to skip over things in there. They're really wordy and they go on and on about nothing a lot of the time. So you've sure. got to be real diligent to look at every individual sure. word. And just one angel just mentioned that we call this practice Jebba Fall. So I picked, I was looking for words. So I found it and I found the name and started referring to the practice by that name in my work. And then others picked it up. So I think that was one of the things. And when I really understood that this practice had a name and when you take all the pieces of it that are kind of scattered through the journals and put them together and look at them. And when you then bring in the counting of the Omer and realize that this is supposed to be a practice of ascension and reaching God and getting a message from God. So it all put it together. And I realized that that was the, this is, this is where my perspective on Anakian shift. I realized that that was the central practice of the whole system. Mm -hmm. um, when they gave him the book of Logah, which means the book of the speech from God, um, and they gave him the 49-day ritual to work that system, mm -hmm. they were giving him the initiation ritual that would make everything else work because the four watchtowers and the parts of the earth come from the book of Logah. So it's like everything that came after the book of Logah literally came out of the book of Logah. <laughs> so you really, you really can't even hope to understand or access the watchtowers properly. And I, I, I gotta be, I, I gotta be clear. There are people who don't do Jebofall and just work with the watchtowers and that is fine. Mm -hmm. But I do think that doing the 49 day ritual will connect you into those higher forces a lot deeper and make your work with the watchtowers a lot more powerful. Hmm. So, and that's just my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, honestly, because I, I'm still building my proper tools to do to do the 49 day practice properly. Um, mm -hmm. I can't do it. The angels told me I'm not allowed to do it. until I have everything done, right. I mean, mm -hmm. the table has to be exactly to their specs. I have to, I have to make a, well, actually my wife is going to make a copy of the book of Logot itself with the blue silk cover and everything. In fact, you interviewed a guy who made one of those. And I was so in awe to see that he actually sat down and did all that and made a, a proper copy of the book of Logot. So, you know, this, this, this idea is spreading, but I haven't done it myself. I, I think he, you both talked in that video about how I had done Logot, uh, done Jebofah. I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. But I have not done Jebofah. I'm still working up to it because the thing is, it's not something you can just decide to do. Hey, this sounds cool. I want to do it. <laughs> it has to be something you're called to do. 
even even the journal the angels told deep god calls you to do this that's it when god says it's time it's time mm-hmm. and from the process of learning the language which is where you saw my first two books then learning to properly put together the tools and rituals which is how you got uh the essential anaki and grimoire these are all just the notes i made for myself and then turned into books mm-hmm. and f- since then i have been slowly gathering the proper tools saving up to get a table made um saving up to get the seven incense of creation made out of pure out of you know proper pure tin um so everything um we're we're working now on molds so we can make us uh sigillum de meth uh proper beeswax so yeah everything is going to be meticulously perfect and then maybe god will call me and say okay now it's time but doing Jebba Fall is like doing Abramelin mm-hmm. or like or like going through the initiations of the Golden Dawn up to five equals six. Now, I'm not saying I'm equating those things. You can't do one and say you've done the other. What I'm saying is that it's seriousness, the depth of the undertaking, and the potential impact it can have on your life are equivalent to those other things. It's not something you should do because you're curious. Mm-hmm. It should be something you do because God has said it's time and that you know doing it is going to make you a different person 50 days later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I, I have not jumped on to doing Fall as quickly as I can. Frankly, I'm kind of happy with my life. So I'm a little nervous about doing Jebba, you know, when I did Abramelin, I was like in head first, but I didn't care. Put a blindfold on me. I don't know. I'm not even going to look for jagged rocks. I'm just diving, you know, back in my youth, I would open any gate, any portal, explore any heaven, but you know, you get older and it's like, you know, <laughs> I got more and more to lose now than I had before. Right. You're like Steven Spielberg. He said he couldn't write close encounters today. Right. Yeah, he said he couldn't write close encounters today, Steven Spielberg, because when he was young, he couldn't imagine not getting on that spaceship. Right. But today, he wouldn't be able to get on the spaceship because he's got family and he's got loved ones and he's got a life. So, yeah, I'm going to have to take you have to take Jebba Fall really, really serious. And I do. And when God is ready for me to do it. And he probably kept me from doing it through the entire Trump era because I would have been wreaking astral havoc if he had. So he's probably (laughs) been holding me off. But now that I have my table, I have the incense on the way. We're working on the seals. I mean, I'm literally in the end game now Mm. that I'm about ready to undertake Jebba Falls. So, yeah, (laughs) that's going to be a lot of fun. Well, yeah, uh, hopefully, you know, when you go through that process, after you go through the process, and I'm sure you will probably journal it or take notes or um, what have you, hopefully we can have you on to get a follow up, you know, the post to Jebo Fall, right? Yeah, I, I'm probably not going to be like your last guest who had the uh, had the fortitude to sit down every day, he said three times a day, mm-hmm. and he would journal and then upload it all at the end of the day and God bless him. I'm in awe of that. Go. You go, boy. Um, but he's, uh, I'm probably not going to do that because I'm terrible at that kind of journaling, you know, just keeping it up to date constantly every day. But yeah, I will definitely write about it. Uh, you'll see my blog posts about it and I'd be more than happy to come on and just talk about what I saw and what I'm allowed to talk about once it's all over. And mm-hmm. that would be a lot of fun. Definitely. 
So um, we're kind of talking a lot about the deep purist side of things, right? And uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're oh, yes. talking about Loga and Jebel Fall, and I haven't got to the section in the book yet, but I think that you uh, equate scrying the Aethers or the call of the Aethers, um, or in general, the Enochian calls themselves, right? Uh, 1 through 48 with the book of Loga, right? You don't really... Um, the, the process, in other words, what I'm saying is the process of scrying the Aethers is completely separate, or is that considered Neo-Anakian in your, in your book? Well, yeah, it's pretty much Neo-Anakian. Um, especially if you're going through the Thelemic material, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you read like Vision and the Voice and that stuff, that is pure Neo-Anakian, and the Visions... And the lessons that he's learned as he goes up the heavens is very specific to Thelema. I mean, it's very drenched with Thelemic symbolism and stuff. So, and that's not really what you're going to find in the deep purist system. Um, now, it is similar in spirit, though, to Jebafal, in that Jebafal is also, you're going to scry all of those ethers. Uh, the ethers are each associated with the last 30 pages of Logoth. Or I should say the last 30 tables of Loga. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to, to do Jebba Fall, you will begin um, not at the first table because we're, we can't open that. Only, only the Christos can open that. And then we can open table two with the first call. That's why there are 48 calls and not 49. So we start as table two and we go all the way to table 18. And I have not cracked it yet, but I am pretty sure that from table two to table 18 should flow down through the Zodiac and the planets. Uh, they should be very similar to the book of Soiga, which has um, the Zodiac repeated down its, uh, down its list uh, through its table. So I'm figuring D was trying to do something similar here, but I just haven't cracked exactly which tables should hook up with we, which uh, astrological force. Like there's one table that has the name Bornigo in mm -hmm. the very center in the form of a star. Well, that's clearly a table that is either associated with the sun because Bornigo is the prince of the sun, or it's a table associated with Leo because the sun rules Leo. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to pick apart Every little detail, you know, what the calls say, uh, what the angels had to say about the tables when they were transmitting them. And I'm trying to figure out the pattern. And I, I've got a whole blog post on it if you want to see it, but I have not come up with a final solution. Okay. So you would, the idea would be you would start at the highest level, just beneath the Christos himself, and you would open these 40, these, these gates of heaven. The first 18 would take you through the zodiac and or the planets. Um, D said that that final table is the spirits of the earth. So the final four of those are probably the four elements. Mm. Then the very next table, the 19th table is the first of the last 30. It's the first of the aethers. Mm -hmm. And you would, for the proceeding with this 49 day ritual, you would continue to open each one of the aethers and either scry into them or visit them, or the angels will come out and talk to you. And it's never made clear which one of those will happen. It's pro it could probably be any mixture of all three. But you will be taught lessons about what is in the table. 
So I may not ever crack what's in Jebafal, uh, what's in Loga until I do Jebafal myself. And that's not uncommon in magic. You know, you can study it forever, but until you do it, you can't really know. So I'm looking forward to that. And yes, the last third, the last 30 days of that 49 day process, I will spend scrying the ethers. Mm. Um, but I will also do it backwards. Uh, Thelema, because mm. it comes from the golden dawn, they worked up the tree of life. Mm-hmm. So that was their that was their view of ascension. You start at Earth and you go toward God, but Anakian magic is more like the old Merkava mystics. They mm-hmm. would start at God and then ride their astral chariots down through the seven heavens back toward Earth. So that's what you're doing in Jebafal. So those mm-hmm. are the difference between scrying the ethers and the vision and the voice. And doing and going through Jebafal and scrying all 48 of the tables of Logal. And that is how it was actually intended in the D purist system. Interesting. So that would be going from uh, from the first aether to the 30th or Lil to Tex on the last 30 days, basically. Correct. You would end the entire process on Tex. Wow. And then at that point. Just like counting the Omer, you will have opened up all 48 gates of wisdom, of understanding. They called it, the angels referred to them as both. So you, if you want to look at it as Binah, it would be of understanding. Uh, but you've basically opened all the pathways, all the heavens, the 30 heavens, plus the planetary and or zodiacal ones that I haven't cracked yet. And that is how you just crack the door into the supernals. And through that tiny little crack, that little beam of light will come down and you will get either revelation or something will change your life or you'll get I mean, something. You don't know until you're there what you'll get from it. And it will unfold over weeks, months, and even years after you do the ritual. So, hmm, Very interesting. Um, what do you see the role of Neo-Anakian to be? Uh, because we're talking a lot, like I said, about the uh, sort of deep purist and going back to the journals and what have you. But uh, a lot of people uh, get into this through Neo-Anakian practices. And I think even you had mentioned that uh, your introduction was through like the Schuler books. And, you know, there a lot of people get into it through uh, perhaps the Thelemic, you know, the vision and the voice and... Um, uh, other material like that. Um, what do you what do you see the value there to be? Because a lot of people scry the aethers and they have very rewarding, insightful experiences. Um, do you see what, what do you see the role, or do you see that as being valid as well? Well, it's certainly valid, and and that really is my stance. It's it. I won't put a value on it. You know. Um, it's just a fact of history is what it is. Um, you know, I went on and on for so long about how before the 90s, before Anakian L, Anakian scholars were very limited in what they even had access to, to write about. Um, very few of them, like you can imagine Westcott or, or Mathers in, in 1880-something, sitting inside the stuffy British Museum, squinting by gaslight, over these horrendously handwritten journals that D left behind and doing their damnedest to ferret out what information they could all by themselves, just 
within the time limit that they had to sit there at that table with that manuscript before they had to give it back and leave for the night. You see what I'm saying? It was not ideal. They just didn't have access to what we did when we had these scans that we could just forward around all over the world or put on a website and everyone can go, you know, give their own opinion on what was being said or, you know, what, what you could see that had been erased or written over. I mean, I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was insane. So they did their best. And you will often hear, especially in pre-1990s Anakian books, you will hear um, that John D. received a skeletal framework of a system. Mm-hmm. And that it was the Golden Dawn who came in and hung meat on that skeleton and made it an actual workable magical system. What we found, oh, this is going back to that, what changed your perspective Mm-hmm. <laughs> question that you asked me before mm-hmm. here's another great example what we found in those by going through d's journals was that no d had not left a skeletal system there's a complete magic system there the mm-hmm. rituals are outlined it's all there there are missing pages but apparently nothing integral to the system was on those pages mm-hmm. so i mean it's all there so we were able to piece it together um What Mathers and Westcott and all those guys back in the 1800s got out of those journals was just the skeleton. They couldn't, they couldn't dig deep enough into it to find the whole system. What what were they they um, out of the British museum? uh What were they working with? Because Uh um, sorry to interrupt, but I I hear a lot from, um, from golden Dawn about book H and uh, I think another book called the concourse of forces. Mm -hmm. what what were they actually what are, what are those texts or where did they uh, originally derive from? Was that Rudd's material? Like is that based off like the treatise on angel magic or what what uh, you know what is that based off? Well, yes, yes, and yes to all of that. Um, they those guys now remember we're talking about golden donners here. I mean they crammed everything together. So yeah, they were the type that they wanted every scrap of information anyone had ever written on Anakian magic. But uh, so, yeah, a lot of like, for instance, the Golden Dawn associates like tarot and geomancy and all these other things to the squares of the Watchtower. That all came from Rudd. Rudd started that. Right. Um, so they drew from Rudd. They they and both Rudd and those guys, uh, if Mathers or Westcott were sitting in, in the British Museum, it was less likely that they were pouring over D's original journals and more likely they were pouring over a true and faithful relation. So they were getting Cosbon's publication of those journals, which are rife with errors, switched pages, missing pages. So you know, this this was all stuff that we had to fix, that we had to figure out in Anakian L. So we had a good Bible for you know how the pages in TFR really should go, and and where different spelling mistakes and errors were made, and printing and typographical errors were made. So, yeah, again, you can't just sit down and read a true and faithful relation and think you're really understanding Anakian magic. But Mathers, Westcott, and the other early guys, Rudd as well. Rudd was using Cosbon's book. I mean, that's been proven. Uh, the material in Rudd's material includes different mistakes and errors that are only in a true and faithful relation and not in D's original manuscript. So, mm. It all kind of starts with uh, Kazaban, and Kazaban wrote a true and faithful relation to discredit D. He was anti D. 
he wanted everyone to laugh and scoff at D talking to these silly angels. And he swore up and down that D was really talking to demons. So, right. so you take an anti-D manuscript that is very kind of hacked together. And this is what the Golden Dawn founders were using. So the result was, as I said, they only could come away with a skeletal framework. And mm-hmm. they did hang meat on that skeletal framework. And the result was Book H. Mm. I personally suspect Westcott as being the author of Book H, but there is no proof anyway. I, I can't give you anything to prove that other than I know that among the original founders of the Golden Dawn, Westcott had the Anakian fetish. He's the one that was making up all the complex watchtower tablets and mm-hmm. doing his best to delve into the system. So I assume, I think he or people closely related to him working with him all got together and took what they could get of D's system out of limited readings of a true and faithful relation and fleshed them out and made book H now book H became not only the primary Anakian grimoire for the early golden dawn, but book H is what informed Mather's, and Mathers is the one who wrote the Concourse of the Forces. And the Concourse mm-hmm. of the Forces is the Golden Dawn Anakian document. So the Concourse of the Forces is the Neo-Anakian system. So from within, the, and remember, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a member of the Golden Dawn, so I, I engage in this too. Mm-hmm. This Neo-Anakian stuff, which is really just a D framework with a whole bunch of Golden Dawn stuff tacked onto it, has become very intric- intrinsic to the Golden Dawn current and the RR at AC. So to say that that's not valid, I mean, they've been doing their version of Anakian for over a hundred years now, well over a hundred years now. So that's, that is a perfectly legitimate branch of history we're talking about for Anakian magic. And you can't just dismiss it and say, oh, well, they got it all wrong. Well, they did their best with what they had uh-huh. and they created something of their own and they applied that thing and that thing works within the context of their tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's it. And there's no value judgment there as opposed to the deep purist stuff. And I prefer the deep purist stuff. I'm a grimoire magician. I wanted to know what D himself would have done if he had stood up and done these rituals. And so that's my stance. Okay, great. Um, actually, we were talking a little bit about the true and faithful relation and the, uh, some of the information that was sort of mixed up in that uh, edition. Um, something that I've come across recently were, were uh, in this little chat group was uh, there was this article called How to Sequence the Perimeter Letters on John D. and Edward Kelly's Holy Table. And it's basically arguing that the... Oh, dear Lord. I, I don't know if you've come across this, but it's basically arguing that the the letters are backwards. So sort of like you, you wrote a blog recently about how things are, you know, in the angelic language... You're supposed to read things from uh, right to left, and basically everything flips in the opposite direction, obviously, right? Um, sort of like in Japanese, right? Or other languages like Hebrew. Um, so it's sort of arguing that uh, most people are using uh, the holy table in the wrong direction, the perimeter letters and what have you. Have you ever, uh, what, what's your take on that? Is it, uh, what, well, yeah, I'm just curious what your take on that is. Are you kidding? Have I encountered that? I'm neck deep in that debate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um, in fact, 
I mentioned David R. Jones earlier, and like he and I are like not even on speaking terms right now because of that debate. And I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not even saying anything bad about him. I'm just saying we had a big, you know, row over it, and now we've gone to our corners and we're cooling off. But yeah, I mean, it's like it, I am definitely into that debate. And mm-hmm. the thing is, um, let's say me and David represent the two halves of this, and we really don't. And I'll explain why. But let's, for the sake of argument. He believes that the diagrams we have of the table should be reversed. Okay. And he has, like everything you said, angelical is written just like Hebrew, right to left. The book of Logah, you turn the pages, uh, what in a Western book would be considered backward. You know, the back cover of the book from the Western standard is actually the front cover of the book of Logah because the text runs the opposite way. Right. Um, so it is, if, if you're going to write a prayer or an inscription in angelical, you should write it in that way from right to left. Mm-hmm. So yes, that is all true. And that's kind of his basis for saying that those need to be reversed. Um, he also makes another argument that I, this is where he and I agree. This is why we're not complete opposites on this thing mm-hmm. is because there is a myth going around that the front plate of a true and faithful relation, which is two full pages that show two facing pages, two full facing pages that shows uh, D's holy table. Mm-hmm. And the myth is that the printer accidentally reversed the plates. Mm-hmm. And therefore the letters, as you see them in the, in, in that front piece are backwards. They're going, they're running the wrong way. David points out and he's 100% correct that if the printer had reversed the plates, the letters themselves would be backwards. Mm. But they're not. The mm. letters are frontward. The letters are, have not been flipped over. Mm. So I think that pretty much kills, you know, so me and David both agree. There is no way that front piece was flipped. What you're seeing is what that table looked like. Now, here's where he and I jump ship entirely from each other. Okay. Okay. That front piece, this is my argument, that front piece, we do not know if that was John D's table. There is doubt whether it was John D's table at all that that, that, that artist was copying for that front piece. Mm-hmm. The one that the British Museum had, remember, there was a big fire and they lost it famously. Mm-hmm. Um, that might not have been built by John D. Um, the wax tablet, the wax seals of the true God that still exist in the British Museum that they say belong to D, they may not have. They may have come from someone else who was trying to work the Anakian system well after D and just ended up in the British Museum. So, yeah, it's not that we have any reason, you know, it's not like that there's evidence proving that, mm-hmm. but the point is there's really no evidence that proves that they are D's original tools. And especially in the case of the table, uh, it was described as having been done in various colors, mm-hmm. but the angels told D to paint his uh, yellow or gold. The lettering right. was supposed to be yellow or gold. So there's that, that does actually throw some real doubt on whether or not the table the British Museum had was even D's because it was the wrong colors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and, and so if those were not D's, we can't take those as, some, as any kind of gospel. You know, and if we can't trust that they were D's, we can't take them as gospel. Now, I point to the journals themselves. D drew a diagram of the holy table and he drew every letter on it 
in English letters. Right, right. And he makes it absolutely clear in that diagram which side of the table you, the viewer, are standing on and exactly which way the letters should be oriented and which way they should run. Now, it's not angelical right to left, but that's not unusual either. Um, even for even for ancient languages like Japanese and such, if they were working like talismanically or putting letters into tables, they could do them in different directions, up and down, right to left, left to right. And that's the case here. Uh, if you look at the watchtowers, D mm -hmm. was never told to write the watchtowers in angelical characters and write them in reverse. In fact, you can't write the watchtowers in angelical because there are no capital letters in angelical, but there are capital letters on the watchtowers. So right. that's a magical table. You don't have to write that right to left. Um, now, of course, Loga is, they are also tables, but the angel said that this is a text. We should be able to someday maybe decipher that language and read the book of Loga. So even though it's in table form, it is supposed to be readable text. And the angels specifically said to write it right to left. But all these other magical tables, including the table of the Heptarchia, which is where those letters around the holy table come from, mm -hmm. those are written in table form. So you're actually writing them out the way D showed them in that diagram, regardless of how you would write angelical text. So I, I default to D's journal there. I'm going to go with what he said, and I'm not going to go by way of this fronts piece that may or may not have actually been D's at all, and which the whoever made it might have made it backwards for their own reasons. <laughs> so there's where I stand on that. And if you ask David his side of that story, he'll probably tell you even more information to support his side of it. And uh, I guess the debate can rage on. <laughs> but we're getting ready to paint my table, and I will be following D's journals. I will not be reversing the names. I'll do it exactly the way he shows. Right, right. Okay, uh, interesting perspective, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, your argument is kind of since it's not a book. Well, you're looking at the original journals, too, but since it's not a book, it's more of a, well, it's a table, kind of like a talisman or something. So it's not written. It's a table. Yeah, it's a table, exactly. literally. So it's not in some kind of reverse order or it's not, not meant to be flipped, in other words, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And, and in all things, when you're talking about deep purist magic, you got to default to what D actually wrote. And so that's, that's just where I stand on that. That's, I, I think that's more important than trying to decipher that front piece. Right, right. And in the uh, diaries, it is only, um, at least the sketch that I've seen, it, it is only in English. It's not, there, there are no preserved um, sketches of the holy table in angelic, right? Nope. The only other sketch we have is the one where he kind of diagrams the whole table. But he, of course, he didn't write the lettering on it for that diagram. Mm, okay, okay. Um, okay, kind of to segue here, I'm kind of curious, uh, since you've written all this material on Anakian, and uh, it is a big part of the Golden Dawn practices, right? Like the opening of the Watchtowers and um, using the Neo-Anakian stuff. Do you currently do, um, are you currently involved in any Anakian practices, maybe either in the Neo-Anakian Golden Dawn format or uh, traditional, the traditional aspect? As you mentioned, you are kind of eventually working towards the Jebofal and the Loga uh, material, but is there any current practices that you're involved with? 
Well, I mean, you kind of covered it in the first part of your question there. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. every time I go to temple, there there is an Akian content there. I mean, if we're doing an initiation, there's a, an Akian tablet there that we reveal and explain uh, in the Neo-Anakian way. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, heck, I just this Saturday uh, finally got to go to Corpus again after, after so long through the pandemic. We actually all got together from all over the nation at, at Corpus celebration at the vault. And we consecrated the vault. So we we did, you know, an Akian invocation. You know, you do the opening by Watchtower was actually adapted by Regardi out of the consecration of the vault ritual. So yeah, mm -hmm. we were doing an Akian there. Um, personal projects, not really. Uh, there will be more. Uh, I'm still working my way through the inner order. Um, mm -hmm. And I have not yet been required to take any tests on the Golden Dawn and Nokian material. Mm. So when I do get to that point, then yeah, my Anakian, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're going to be requiring me to do some scryings. And in fact, I know for a fact, they're, um, even my current test that I'm working on right now, I believe I'm going to be doing a, a pyramid scrying at the end of that. And mm. that is pure neo Anakian stuff right there. Um, so yeah, that's all kind of, in the future, I just I, I don't have a passion for Neo Anakian. That's one thing you'll find <laughs> when people become adepts in the Golden Dawn. You, you go through all the Golden Dawn material, their initiations, their knowledge lectures, you take their tests, you get into the inner order, and some people will continue forward in the order because that's kind of their destiny. They're going to be Golden Donners and they're going to help run the order. But then you have other adepts that this guy, his passion is astrology, so that's where he goes. And mm -hmm. this guy, his passion is for Arabic magic. So off he goes. And this guy's passion is for alchemy. So there he goes, you know, with a full lab in his basement. And mm -hmm. they all just kind of go into their areas of expertise and proceed to like revolutionize those areas as they publish and, and practice. And, and it's just fascinating to watch. So, yeah, it's not that I'm against the Neo-Anakian material. It's just that's not my passion so I'll do that material and I'll take the tests when I have to, but otherwise, yeah, you weren't, you're not going to be, you're not going to find me doing any really major Neo-Anakian operations or anything. I'm going to be focused on Jebba Fall. Um, as soon as I get my table painted, I'm going to be doing the 14 day ritual that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Or no, I'm sorry. It's 19 day. It's a all 19 right. day in total. And I'm going to do that ritual. So I'm going to call them all to that table and bind them to that table um, so yeah, it's all going to be deep hero stuff that I'm going to, that I am currently right now putting the tools together and going to finally do the right way after all these years of study and practice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, recently, uh, Dr. Sledge, who has the Esoterica channel, he's doing a series on Anakian and he mentioned, uh, uh, I saw in the comments, actually, I don't think he mentioned in the video, but, uh, uh, I was reading through the comments. I had a little comment thread there myself. And, uh, I believe he mentioned that he's working with you or consulting you on that series because he's going through the language and Loga. And, um, I believe that he specialized, uh, in studying D, um, in his, in university. And so, uh, he has a great channel. I mean, it's an amazing channel. Um, very scholarly. How, how's it been working with him? Or are you actually consulting with some of his videos? Oh, good old Dr. Sledge or Justin. 
or the sledgehammer as i absolutely <laughs> never call him no he is awesome i mean like he is literally one of my favorite people um i my friendship with him is like brand new uh, I was, I first became a fan of his channel. I mean, the guy just puts good stuff out there. Oh yeah. And I never suggest anyone learn anything off of YouTube except on my own channel, of course. And, <laughs> but I will always direct people to him to learn from because those videos are beyond top notch. I love that. I'm a fanboy. I love this guy. So I became a fan and I watched a lot of his videos. And then of course he had to make one on Abramelin and you can't mention Abramelin around Aaron Leach without him going off at the mouth. So I had to post in the comments and mm -hmm. I was making different points and stuff that I know about Abramelin and, and, uh, and he wasn't buying half of what I was saying, like at all, it was really funny. And then, you know, other people were coming under that. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe these two are talking to each other, you know? <laughs> so we started, um, I forget who wrote first, honestly, I might've sent him something. Cause I remember we talked about, we should, we should connect, you know, an email in the comments. And so one of us wrote the other and uh, yeah, we just kind of just total conversational uh, kind of learning what, what we're like, you know, off of YouTube, you know, you've got that, that public face you put on, but um, mm -hmm. he's very, very genuine. You know, he's not like totally different off screen than he is on screen at all. And right. he's a very nice and down to earth guy. He wouldn't even let me refer to him as doctor or, or, or professor, <laughs> um, just top notch guy. So yeah, we were just talking. And of course, you know, you talk shop. It's like, we're talking a little history or we're talking a little Abramelin, a little Anakian. And, and he did mention that he'd like to consult with me uh, on that, on this upcoming series. Um, in fact, I saw the first one come out and I was afraid maybe I, maybe I kind of uh, missed an email from him or something, but uh, no, he was, he was just focused on the alphabet and I actually learned some stuff watching him focus on that. And uh, I think we'll, we're, we're going to do some talking and, and bantering back and forth about as he goes deeper into the language and it's, it's grammar and syntax. And I, I think from me, what he's really interested in is like my practitioner's perspective Right. You know, someone who actually really puts this stuff to use so I can tell them what the angels tell me and I can, you know, point to different, like, like you said, I, you know, I seem to have picked up all these obscure things that are in the journals others miss. So I'm always happy to kind of fill them in on that and, and, and let them know those details. So I am, like I said, totally fanboying over this and <laughs> really excited and I can't wait to collaborate with him. Yeah. Um, and I hope that in turn we'll do it the reverse so I can release a video that he has collaborated on, or, or, or maybe I'll interview him or just have him on as a guest or something. I mean, so lots of neat stuff could be coming up in the future on that front. Yeah, it's great uh, checking out his channel because it's so scholarly, scholarly and um, he, he presents a lot of interesting uh, material. And the fact that he's not, you know, he can spend his time really doing a lot of research um, sort of in the academic and historical standpoint and then on your side or other people's side, perhaps, um, they can present more of the practitioner standpoint. So I think it's kind of cool seeing this sort of marriage between the scholarship and the practitioners. And, you know, every, everybody has something to bring to the table. And um, I do like that he, in his first video on the angelic language, he does present some very interesting history. As you mentioned, even you, you mentioned you kind of learned something from that. But uh, he does, you know, obviously he's coming more from a academic and skeptical standpoint so i think that's uh it's very good to see that side of it to kind of balance out right 
Oh, it totally is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just to give you the great, a great example out of that video, uh, mm-hmm. I say, you know, I learned something. He knew about medieval shorthand. Mm-hmm. I did not know a damn thing about medieval shorthand. Had never <laughs> even crossed my mind. But he knew about it. So he was able to compare. Uh, he points out, you know, that you have the real Anakian letters and then you have the, um, the curse of the script version that Kelly wrote down first. Mm-hmm. And I always ignore that one because it just looked like Kelly was scribbling down real quick, you know, and he did the proper letters later. So I, like everyone else, just went to the proper ones and don't worry about those. But uh, uh, Justin was the first one to point out that what you're seeing Kelly write in those, that very first time is because he knew medieval shorthand. He was using that shorthand. So there it really isn't a cursive version versus a block letter version at all. What you're just seeing is Kelly writing in shorthand the very first time he saw the letters and he was trying to write them down as fast as he could as the session was going on. Right. <laughs> right. That's very interesting. I love history. No, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> Definitely fascinating. I think, uh, I think everyone's a fan of that esoterica channel. I haven't heard anyone say that they watched it and they didn't like it. Everyone pretty much, uh, you know, gets really into it. Right? Cover it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something wrong with you if you watch He's, that and uh, if you don't like it. <laughs> material. Yeah. yeah, because it's so it's it's not only full of really good information, but it's he makes it accessible. Mm-hmm. He's very non-pretentious about it, even self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. You, you watch my channel, I'm easy to hate, you know. <laughs> but him, <laughs> I yeah, I totally agree. You've got to have it, you've got to be like fundamentally broken if you come away from dr sledge thinking that that's a bad person right or that he doesn't know what he's talking about either one right right, right. <laughs> i like that he uh, inserts his uh love you dr sledge i know you're gonna hear this right i like that he inserts his uh dry humor and stuff into the into the videos as well it's really awesome <laughs> yeah it's awesome uh, it is awesome and i love dry humor oh yeah definitely there is a uh, question i think i skipped over that i had in my notes which was um recently i've been kind of going through the heptarchia and uh in your essential Anakian grimoire you have it written out that uh i believe that you mentioned that you make um you make seals or talismans for the prince the king and then also with the ministers um all in one i believe right and uh there's there's been you know i've read through different books and different notes uh some people say that you stand on the seal or stand you know uh in that format in your book i think you mentioned that you put your feet on the ministers and then you have the king and the prince one on the table one in hand so i'm kind of curious like uh, it seems a little bit vague for me can you kind of clarify why you do it in that way um and what what's in the diaries where does it say that they stand on the seals i'm sort of confused on that aspect Oh, well, for that one, I would have to get the book and find it for you. Um, but it is in there. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting at the table, but you're told to put the seals of the ministers under your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that whole area of the journals is pretty vague. Mm-hmm. And even though D kind of wrote his own little personal grimoire, which is Sloan 3191, and it was the basis of Jeffrey James's uh, The Anakian Magic of Dr. John D. Mm-hmm. So... Um, even that grimoire doesn't really shed a lot of light. You know, he kind of just put down what he needed to kind of know, like the conjurations and and what the sigils were and stuff. But a a lot of that, especially in those early days of the, uh, of the 
scrying sessions where I think he and Kelly were still trying to get their stride. You'll notice that they were told a lot of weird stuff that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and sometimes the angels would come back and correct it. And sometimes they wouldn't like for uh, just, just one great example that, that really is like a grain of sand in my clam is they told him that you have to make this book of supplication and spend these 19 days calling the angels of the watchtowers. And you mm -hmm. have to wear a white robe while you do that. And then after that's done, you never wear that white robe again. Mm. That drives me crazy. Why? That's the <laughs> robe you wore during that, <laughs> that initiation. Why wouldn't you wear that every time? And they were told just weird little things like that. And I kind of class the uh, whole standing on the, the seals of the ministers thing kind of with that. It's weird. And no one, not including myself and including any angels that I've talked to, have offered any explanation or come up with any explanation for why that should be. The mm. best I can get is this vague impression that the ministers, if you look in the journals, they're all associated with physical phenomena, either weather patterns, plant life, um, metals, gems, everything very physical, mundane world stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think they're the bottom of the totem pole. They're the, the workhorses that actually do things. So the only thing that I get from this, and it is vague, is that you're sitting at this holy table. And, and remember, when, when you're dealing with the knocking angels, you're dealing with the throne angels, the, the holy hate, the ones who attend directly to God. Mm -hmm. And you, you have the king's seal in front of you because that's your focus. You have the prince's seal in your hand because that's your authority. And you have your feet on the ministers because you you have your feet on the world, almost in the same way that you see Inanna standing on the lion mm -hmm. or Horus standing on the serpent, or um, there was a third example and it just flew out of my head, but you'll see this in iconography with someone standing on something or writing it to indicate their control over that thing. Right. So that's really the best that, that I've come up with just from, you know, asking the angels for further information on all of these really vague aspects of the system. They're not really forthcoming. They're really a lot like they were with D. He would ask them minutia and they'd be like, we don't care. Mm. You know, we gave you what we want you to do. We don't care what you do after that. So, I mean, yeah, what I just described to you, the king on the table, the prince in your hand and your feet on the uh, ministers, unless I'm totally misremembering this, but I don't think I am. But that is the best I can make of a completely literal reading of what the angel said to be in the journals. Mm. But okay. it is very vague. And there's a lot of things about it that Dean never even asked for clarification on. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of is what it is. It's just, why do you do that? Because the angel said to do it. <laughs> and right. you're using a form of magic that the angels delivered. And that's the most powerful kind of magic. And if they say you're supposed to put your feet on those rings with the minister's names on them, then just do it. And if, and if they don't like it, they'll show up and they'll go, why are your feet on those names? Take them off. And mm -hmm. then you'll know. <laughs> so it's, 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 it, that's the thing about a knock magic. Like you can, you can, there's always something, there's always a loose thread that you want to pursue mm -hmm. and you keep mm -hmm. running into dead end after dead end after dead end. And it's just, <laughs> it's such a while. It's a rabbit hole. 
Yeah, it's you a can total spin. rabbit hole. This this Anakin's like. Yeah, you can spin. That doesn't even get in all the cloak and daggery that was going on with it all. I mean, spies were coming to D, and D was playing tricks on Walsingham, which is the Queen's spy master. Mm -hmm. And they were traveling all over Europe spying for the Queen. And it was just, it is just amazing. Again, I love history. I really do. And I love D. <laughs> oh yeah definitely definitely um you you mentioned that you um you also have your book on solomonic magic or actually it's the uh what's the book you mentioned first it was the secrets of the grimoires right you mentioned that you do practice uh goetian solomonic magic um there were there were points in the diaries where like kelly i think the angels were telling kelly to stop doing goetia or uh, conjuring demons behind their back or something along those lines what do you see the relationship uh between anakian and the more you know goetic platonic sort uh sorts of magic well first of all the anakian system has its own goetia uh, on the watchtowers there are demons listed yeah and uh d asked about them and the angel said don't ever work with them um, you have you have to remember the context that D was working in. D was an extremely devout uh, Anglican man, mm -hmm. and the journals are just overflowing with sermons and preaching and stuff about that kind of thing. The, and, and remember when I said earlier, it's real easy to skip over things in D's journals because those angels would just start preaching, and it's just about nothing, and it just goes on and on about <laughs> piety, this and. You know, you know, but in the middle of it all, the angel will just say one little line of something that is a key to understanding something else in the magic system. So you've got to plod through all of that in order to read the journals and understand it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's what it was like. And D would not have accepted anything else. Mm. Um, he would not have accepted anything that seemed the slightest bit pagan or the slightest bit non-Christian. They had to they had to. Uh, be preaching Anglican Christian doctrine or D wouldn't have even talked to them. Mm -hmm. So they did. And, you know, these beings will often conform to what you expect. Thelemites contact them and they don't even mention Christianity, you know, and right. you know, their Wiccans can work in Akian magic, you know, it doesn't matter. Cause when they have learned about the angels and the gods, they don't, they're not members of religions. There you go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to them, most earthly religions are humorous at best or absolutely infuriating at worst. So yeah, they're not, they don't really care what religion you are or aren't, but they will, if you are so fixated on that tradition and you're contacting them through that tradition, yeah, they're going to come through in that, in that style. And so, yeah, they had to. And when Kelly was found to have been practicing Goetia, Whoa, that was evil. You don't do that. That's that pagan stuff, you know? And so, the angels, just as D would have expected them to do and insisted that they do, they reacted badly and they made uh, Kelly bring in his Goetia tools and burn them all. Um, I come at it from a different perspective. I started as a pagan, uh, performed Abermelon. Abermelon has its own Goetia system. So I was already kind of, you know, engaging in that. So when I work with these angels, um, they just kind of have to accept the different way I'm wired and the different way I work. 
So I've got my holy table in my temple and we'll be scrying and working with these angels, but I've got my four familiars altar off to the side. I'll probably put a covering over it actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll just be there and they'll just stay quiet in the corner while these angels are in the room. And that's just how it's going to be because I'm not burning my material. <laughs> you know? Right. right, right. Um, so yeah, it's, it kind of depends a lot on the religious and spiritual context you're working in. And they'll appear to you kind of how you expect them to most of the time. Right. That's a good point. Very fair point. Um, all right, cool. I think we explored a lot of the questions that I wanted to go over, but um, I'm curious, do you have any, uh, what are your, um, you know, what projects are you working on? Actually, before we jumped on the call, uh, we were kind of chatting a little bit about where you live and how you, uh, you have like a full temple set up out there and maybe even plans for, uh, future festivals as COVID is kind of um, on the decline over there. So maybe you can share a little bit about your um, uh, c- uh, current plans with that, with your uh, where you're living in the temple setup, and um, maybe if there are any books or any projects that are you're working on or you know people can expect. Um, sure. Um, first of all, for the temple, that's I. I mentioned some of that earlier, even in in the recorded part here, that I've got these altars to the seven archangels spread through the house. Uh, I perform mass uh, here in my home as well. And also, um, we are converting our garage. We we don't use it as a garage. So we're going to, we're drywalling it, carpeting it, AC and all. And that's going to be, actually, it already is our working temple, but we're going to make it nicer and nicer. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we hold Golden Dawn Temple meetings here, that's where that'll happen. Uh, now, as for the rest of it, we live, uh, we call our property Solomon Springs. It's 40 acres here in Florida, uh, north-ish Florida, uh, just outside of Gainesville, really. And we are already set up uh, to host regular uh, pagan festivals here. Uh, there's a group called Phoenix Fire. And they're really nice people. And they hold a spring and a fall festival every year. And of course, we moved in here and they we made the deal with them they've actually come in here they've installed showers they're going to be building a stage uh we had electricity installed out there so their vendors and their food carts can hook up i mean this is a fully functioning campground out there now and we it just all got put on hold as far as opening and holding any festivals because of covid so Mm -hmm. this fall finally is the first full full scale festival that they're going to hold out there it's it's uh, early october i think it's like the fifth to the tenth but you want to go to uh, phoenixfestivals.com to find out the exact dates and to register. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, from that point forward, after this this fall, the Sound Festival, they will be out here twice a year, every year at least. And of course, we we are open to having other festivals come through and, and rent the land as well. So, mm. so this, we're really excited about the future for that. So we're, we really made Solomon Springs a homeland for Florida pagans occultists and seekers and uh we'll have to see where our post-pandemic uh fate takes us oh definitely sounds awesome though definitely sounds cool um are there any current uh are you working on any current book projects or um i did see that you offer also uh a course on abramelin and uh solomonic magic i believe are there any uh courses that current courses that you're going through or developing to 
Yeah, I already shamelessly plugged the Doc Solomon store where we sell all the stuff. And mm-hmm. at that same store, you'll find all of our classes. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there is a, a beginner Solomonic course. So if you're just interested in the Grim Wars, the old magic, um, and you want to know more about it, this is the perfect place to start. I gave a very in-depth course on Abramelin and acad uh, looking into the book, its history, um, what its symbols, how to do the right, especially in today's modern world, busting all the myths about Abramelin. So this class is really extensive. Mm. And um, there's some other classes as well, but those are the two most popular. We have some tarot classes. Uh, we have a class available to teach you how to set up and work a bovida or an ancestor altar. So this is all things you can get from the store. Um, as far as books, it, sort of yes and sort of no, because um, I'm trying to finish. I'd have, I do actually have one more class. These are bonus classes I'm just giving the students for free mm. um, in the Abermelon course. And when I finish this last bonus class, I'm taking the whole course and I'm rewriting it in book form. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to add to that all of the linguistic work I've done on correcting and understanding the Abermellon word squares. Oh, and cool. uh, by the way, Dr. Justin Sledge oh. might just be consulting on those word squares, but you didn't hear that from me. So <laughs> that's coming up. Um, I'm also working on the Solomonic 102 course, and I've been working on that for years. And my students are about to show up with pitchforks and torches and demand it or else. <laughs> so <laughs> I swear I am working on that and it should be coming now sooner than later. Um, that's about it on book projects uh, in the more middle distance future. Um, when I finally do put together my, my book of Loga, mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I've done with all of my other notes. I'm going to publish and share it. So I'm probably going to go through um, there's a specific publisher, but I'm not going to name him yet because I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I have a publisher in mind that I think will like to do it. It's going to be expensive because I'm going to want this book actually covered in blue silk to be to, mm. to go out. And I will be it'll be the book of Loga and it will probably include an introduction with what I know about the book of Loga and Jebba Fall and how to use it. So and of course, it'll include the 48 keys, too. So it's going to be longer than 49 pages, I'm afraid, but it will be the complete book of Loga. And that is what my next big project, my next big vanity project is. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that uh, for sure. Uh, hey, maybe even you can get a little intro with uh, Dr. Sledge on that one, too. Huh? <laughs> I would like to see some collaboration. That'd be great. You know what? You never know. Tell you what, he's welcome on any project. Uh, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to mention? Maybe uh, where can people find you online? And you did mention your store. People can probably find you. Um, you mentioned your website. It can include in the show notes and maybe on Facebook or anything like that. Absolutely. The The store itself is just Doc Solomon's. That's plural. DocSolomon's.com. Um, and you just, it'll, it'll take you from there. You see all the neat stuff that we offer. Um, you can also find Doc Solomon's on Facebook. So if you're on there, search for us there. That's where I'll post updates. I'll post pictures of things we're doing. Um, that's where you'll really stay kind of in the loop on what's going on with us here at Solomon Springs. 
Um, and there is a Solomon Springs page. If anyone, there's not much happening there now because our first festival isn't until later this year, but we have a Solomon Springs page if you want to search for that on Facebook. Um, I guess other than that, uh, there I run the Solomonic group also on Facebook. You won't find it by searching, so you're going to have to search for me, Aaron Leach, L-E-I-T-C-H. I'm sure that's in the video title. Search mm -hmm. for me. You'll have to send me a friend request so I can invite you into the Solomonic group. Now, that's not one of my class groups for students. It's open to anyone who wants in, but I had to keep it private because we were getting spammed with um, um, uh, scammers of some weird type a couple of years ago. So I, I just hit it. And that's it. That's where you'll find me, uh, mostly on Facebook. And you can always contact me, IM me, post in the Solomonic group, ask me questions. I'll answer as much as I can answer. And I'd be happy to, to meet anyone. All right, cool. Well, thanks for uh, spending time. You know, it's kind of hard to coordinate because I'm on the other side of the world. We have like a 13-hour time difference. I wake up, you go to bed kind of thing, right? But uh, yeah, thanks for coming yeah, on. It uh, is difficult. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, your future projects. And maybe um, we can have you on for a round two once you have some other... Uh, um, stuff going on, as you mentioned, the Loga and the Jebel Fall. I'm really looking forward to how that develops as well. Um, but yeah, I'll mention, uh, I'll put all the links you want in the show notes. People can find you. And until next time. Thank you very much. I had a blast. Can't wait till next time.